Welcome back, podcast listeners. Put down that energy drink and that protein bar. Listen up. Before running to the doctor asking for meds to help with that pesky anxiety, depression, attention span, fatigue, whatever's bothering you these days, you might just want to consider another path first. Wendy and I recently sat down with acupuncturist, naturopath, and self-proclaimed old hippie, Dwayne Law, LAC, owner of naturalstresscare.org. We wanted to talk to him about functional medicine and learn a little bit about the work he's been doing with clients on their dietary choices and nutritional needs. Settle in and maybe take some notes. We're about to gain some useful knowledge about how people might improve their health and relationships simply by supplementing and changing how and what they eat. Let's go. definite things about food that people need to know. One of the big issues with, there's two big issues, with food and mental health. Are you recording, by the way? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm just wondering. One of them is that uh, the nutrient density of food has gone way down over the last hundred years. Mm. So it's really hard to get everything you need from just food alone. And the second issue is there's a lot of individual variability. So it's hard to say, Oh, you want to be calmer? Eat this food. Well, I don't want to give you too much of an editing job. I don't want to make you work, <laughs> well, work too hard. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> that. So um, welcome back, listeners, to The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny. I'm Miss Jenny. And I'm Dr. Wendy. And joining us today, we're very happy and lucky to have Dwayne Law, uh, LAC. He's an author, speaker, naturopath, acupuncturist, and owner of naturalstresscare.org. He teaches how to use nutrition, acupuncture, and other tools of holistic health to calm anxiety, lift depression, increase cognitive ability. And he has an office in Beverly Hills, uh, and thanks to technology, he sees clients worldwide, as he was just telling us. Uh, He also offers corporate presentations, webinars, and online CE courses for psychotherapists licensed in California. Hey, guys. That's great. Shout out. And uh, check out his blog site, selfcareadvisor.net. We will give you more of his contact information in the notes and at the end of the podcast. So he's also, before I forget, he's written a book, Before Meds, After Meds, which is about how you can reduce anxiety and depression. Through nutrition and... Nutrition and all kinds of other things. There's so many options for people before they have to get to meds. You know, now, now meds save lives. Let's be clear about that right here. So you're not anti-med. I'm not anti-med. I am a little wary, though, because I'm aware that the research that's been done on them, you know, there are studies in JAMA and the New England Journal of Medicine that show that, for example, the SSRIs, some studies show that their effects aren't that much better than placebo. And there's not a whole lot of long-term studies that's been done on this. For those who are interested in this issue, there's a guy named Ben Goldacre, who is no holistic guy at all. He's at Oxford, and he's very much conventional medicine-minded, but he's written a book called Bad Pharma. And it goes into great depth on how um, the evidence base gets skewed because there's so much money on one side of the equation and so little on the other side. And there's not a lot of long-term work that's been done. You know, things that may work very well at the beginning, you know, a year or two, three down the road, 
Nobody knows what happens when someone's been taking SSRIs for five years. Some people seem to get along with it. Some people don't. What we do know is that it's really hard to stop, which is why it can be a good idea in some cases to explore other softer options before going that route. And there's more and more people who are interested in that too. I just want to say, <clears throat> excuse me, that I've noticed there are now teenagers that are going to doctors, cannabis doctors. So now it's not just referring to psychiatrists, but cannabis doctors. And the teens are responding well. I guess it's the uh, part that they take the THC. The CBD. You take the THC out and you've got the CBD. Yes, and it, there's it, a couple other. One in the morning like, like that is not the one that makes you high, that part. And then in the evening, it is the one that can add that, what? THC. Yeah, in the evening so that they can drift off to sleep. And parents are really conflicted about it, but they're exploring that because they really don't want, you know, their kids on medication. So that's also what's kind of going on right now. What do you think of that? Well, you know, um, just last weekend on Science Friday, the NPR Science Show, they had about a five-minute segment right toward the end. Some Harvard researchers just published a study examining the effects of THC. And what they found was that in adolescence, it seems, they were actually, let's be, they weren't working on humans here, they're working on mice, okay? But in mice that are um, roughly as old as our adolescence, they found that it damaged memory. So, okay, so there is an issue there. The brains are still forming. But in older mice, corresponding to humans who might be 50 and above, they found that it actually enhanced their memory and improve their cognitive abilities. And that's the THC component. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've had a blackout on this research for about two generations. And it's about time that people started looking at it more deeply because it's not like you've got natural weak things on one side and these well-tested strong pharmaceuticals on the other. That's the illusion that people are under. The pharmaceuticals have not been tested the way we would all like to think they have been for safety and efficacy. Mm. You know, the testing that's been done is short term. We don't know what they do years down the road. And the natural approaches, um, there's not enough budget to test them. It's really expensive to do the kinds of large-scale randomized controlled trials that it takes to produce the highest quality of evidence. And that's why if you go looking around on PubMed and Google Scholar and places like that, particularly if you go to the uh, meta-reviews, what you'll find over and over and over again is people say, well, the evidence is weak. And the reason, that, there's two reasons they say that. First of all, it takes a lot of money. It's not in the interest of the deep-pocketed medical industry to test the natural stuff because it's their competition. And the other thing that comes into play here is that the way the studies are structured, it's easiest to test one thing at a time, and that's not how natural interventions work. The body is a complex web of relationships, and if you're going to use more naturalistic approaches, you want to be using formulas of things. You want to be using you know, five or eight antioxidants, not just a ton of vitamin C, if you really want to see the benefits. Well, if you're doing the high-level RCT studies, the complexity and therefore the cost of the study goes up as a function of the square of all the different, you know, it goes up exponentially 
as you increase the number of variables that you're looking at. So, you know, it's largely an economic issue and to a certain extent a political issue, why these things, why the studies haven't been done showing these things work. But what we're seeing is a mass movement of professionals, lay people. Intuitively, a lot of us, especially those of us who are, you know, who've come up in the natural food movement or who have, you know, intuited that we might not want to, you know, surrender our bodies to the tender mercies of, you know, the, the big agricultural com companies. You know, we've intuited that it might be better to be, you know, buying organic food than non-organic food, to be drinking filtered water or mountain spring water rather than the city water, you know. And if you read widely enough, and you don't have to actually read that widely, just, you know, You'll, you'll see little things pop up. You know, right now the buzz is about city water supplies. You know, for God's sakes, the com you know, the, the Daily Show on Comedy Central, you know, a couple of weeks ago had a segment on how poorly tested municipal water supplies are, you know. Um, and, and, you know, you, you hear enough of that, you know, under, you know, the, the buzz of, you know, mass media. And you, you start to think, okay, maybe it's wise to invoke the precautionary principle. If we don't know, be extra careful. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, generally. <laughs> and some people don't want to know. Well, there's always that. And, you know, what I say to those folks is, hey, go spend some time volunteering in an assisted living community. Totally. I just spent five years doing elder care for two parents in their mid-90s. Mm. You know, mom passed on a year and a half ago. My sister decided to take dad, who was the pussycat, back to live with her in Maryland. So for the first time in five years, my time is my own, which mm. is nice. But... Well, thanks for sharing some of it with us. Yeah. I would recommend to anyone, if you need motivation to dig into this, go volunteer at any assisted living community. That's a great idea, you know, um, unfortunately. So I have a loving family member who is... Uh, on her last days and so we've been at the places the convalescent homes and uh, now you know um, just looking at you know who looks vibrant and energetic and who doesn't look uh, you know who can it, just all the effects who who can walk who can talk you know self-care it's it's really interesting so why do you say that though what 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 is it they can get out of it well go there at lunch or dinner time and watch what they eat okay so now we're talking you know, about the food stuff that's that's one thing okay but then you know beyond that um, I practice a form of medicine called functional medicine it's a medicine that's interested in picking up on our organic reserve, the way our bodies work before disease appears. Okay. So there's now a whole new set of functional medicine tests that we can use to assess how well the body works. Okay, um, Because by the time disease appears, things have already gone downhill. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to you know, um, be looking, you don't want to be looking at how well the engines are working after the plane has crashed. Can we just go back to the food? You said take a look at what these people are eating. So can you say a little bit more about that? So when you start paying attention to the quality of food, this is one of the big things that builds what we call in functional medicine organic reserve. 
So the people who are still vibrant and alive, you know, you'll find the occasional, you know, you'll find the occasional geezer who's like 90 and smokes a pack a day and, you know, eats ice cream and they seem to be fine. But they're the exception. They're not the rule. You know, most often it's the people who have been eating their vegetables, eating their salads, paying attention to the quality of their food, you know, educating themselves because that's a big part of this equation. The more you understand about this, the better you're going to do. And you know, what's interesting, I found years ago, decades ago, in my acupuncture practice, I, I'm one of the earliest acupuncturists licensed in this country, okay? So when I went through my training, they didn't know a lot about you know all the ideas about how it worked so we just sat in a class and got all this old information use this point for this problem use this point for this problem we got into the clinic it didn't work and we all looked at ourselves and said oh dear what are we going to do so slowly we taught ourselves how to do acupuncture in the west but i've had about maybe two dozen people now in 35 years of practice who responded to acupuncture the way the old book said they would. One or two treatments, getting them as far as I would expect most people to go in 10 or 15. They all grew up on diets that didn't come out of supermarkets. They either grew up on a farm or they grew up in a part of the third world where there was no electricity when they were young, so the farmers would grow the food, truck it into town, dump it on the sidewalk. So were you noticing this as a cumulative effect that they had, uh, because they had grown up in that um, situation, no matter how long they'd been in the States, not only were their eating habits different, but that there was kind of an underlying base work for that kind of success that you're talking about, that their system was already like that, programmed in that way? Well, what I've seen with people who weren't lucky enough to grow up that way is that if I can get them on a good program of basic micronutrients, they respond a lot better to my work with, you know, the pins, and they maintain their results. I really saw this when I was working in a pain clinic at a place called Curl and Joe. The people I could talk into doing their basic micronutrients responded and maintained the results. Everybody else didn't. But even so, they don't get the miraculous results that I see with people who grew up mm. on a diet with a lot of really fresh, non-industrialized food. So that tells me that there's something very important going on in those formative years. We can make up to it for a certain extent when we're older. Okay. That's good to hear. Yeah. But the whole point of Absolutely. people in denial, go and see what's coming. Because we're all building the bodies we're going to live in for the next 30, 40, 50 years. We do it every day with our choices. And where we get snookered is that the consequences show up years and decades down the road. The choices we make right now are what set those consequences in motion. So I have shared with Jenny that recently, it's been about two months, and my sister and I became vegan, mm -hmm. and it has changed our life. I, we don't eat dairy. We don't eat, um, you know, uh, we're doing something, Dr. McDougall's mm -hmm. uh, starch-based sure. diet, but it's really a, a way of life, and not only she's had a really hard time with health issues and weight, she lost some weight, but uh, really she's feeling so much better. We can't even believe 
that we are living without dairy, without animal products. It's all vegetable, it's all health, organic. And we talk about how beautiful our refrigerators look. And my husband, I, I have integrated it with my husband and also my teen and, and you know, uh, Christopher, so my, my uh, 15 year old, his allergies went away and um, my mood is it, it just uh, has been more energetic. I don't have the aches and pains. It's and this is two months, and so anyway, my sister and I always say like, "Oh God, we were raised on frozen foods and processed foods," and you know, I always say, if my parents knew better, they would do better, right? But well, again, <clears throat> they, that's also a generational thing as well, which is one of the things I was thinking when you were talking about, you know, how kids are raised and how we can maybe turn that around later on is I think a lot of people our age uh, of our generation too who were born or who were raised like that because I was too you know uh, because you had two working parents the the family looked different you didn't have um, like my grandparents had gardens and they they cooked so much of their own vegetables and fruits that they grew themselves but we didn't because my mom was working all the time and my dad was working all the time and it was like oh it was the revol the food revolution in that way we we didn't even see fresh fruit or vegetables really honestly until but, later on in life but now i think that that parents of our generation and younger are making more concerted efforts to have that experience with their kids where they know where their food is coming from. There's and vegan restaurants, vegetarian restaurants, options everywhere. But we're everywhere. in L.A. too. I mean, like, I, I, I went, I've been a vegetarian since I was 20, so so coming up on 27 years. Not a vegan. I could not live my life without cheese. I'm sure I could live my life without cheese. I don't want to live my life without cheese. Um, <laughs> but I tell the story where I went home and I went into a restaurant and they had split pea soup and I asked if there was any meat in it and they said no and they brought it to me and there were huge chunks of ham floating in it and I said, well, well meat. right, exactly. <laughs> and I said, well, I thought you said there wasn't any meat in this and she said, well, it's not meat, it's ham. And so that to me like speaks to a bigger disconnection in culture too and that's the Midwest. Granted, that was maybe 10, 15 years ago, and things have shifted a lot. You know, they do have, like, Morningstar products and stuff there now, but, uh, I, you know, I do think that it is different in different places. We are so fortunate to be here in L.A. We're, we're fortunate to be here, and the consciousness is spreading. Um, to tie this into relationships, just for a moment, it's not surprising that moving away from industrialized food to a vegan diet has given you a boost because you're probably eating more greens, you're probably eating more fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, are you eating grains as well? Yes. Okay. So when you do that, several things happen. You give yourself, a, the greens give you a lot more folates and folates are crucial for forming neurotransmitters and feeding a lot of other body pathways. So when you give yourself a lot of greens, it's detoxifying, it feeds these systems. What I think needs to be said is that the brain is 2% of the body's weight. It burns through 20% of the body's energy. And what that means is that it's one of the most metabolically active parts of, and any issues with 
accumulated toxicity, with lack of micronutrients, with lack of macronutrients, okay, clean diets versus not clean diets, it tends to show up in mood and behavior first. So there's a lot of, and, and most of us don't recognize that. All we know is we don't feel so good. Um, one of the things that happens frequently with foods that um, we like a lot, some of our favorite foods are things that inflame us. Because when we eat a food that we're allergic to, that we're reacting to, the immune system swings into gear. The body takes it as an emergency. It activates all of the systems that help us you know, run or fight for our lives. That involves dumping blood sugar out of storage into the bloodstream. That gives us a dopamine surge. Dopamine is the reward neurotransmitter. So one of the first things I usually try to gently introduce people to when they work with me clinically is, oh, uh -huh, so you're eating this every day and you crave it. Well, you know, this might need to become a delicacy rather than a staple if you want to be one of those 85 year olds, you know, who is still independent and able to put on your own shoes in the morning, mm -hmm. you yeah. know. Um, because, you know, the damage happens slowly. The inflammation chews away at us slowly. But it's very often our favorite foods and the things that we eat every day that, that does that to us. But the other important thing to mention is that when our food is inflaming us, which is a very common thing, all most of us know is that we don't feel so good. And we tend to start looking for something to blame. And as therapists, you know, that one of the favorite targets for someone to blame is those who are nearest and dear to us, you know. I'm feeling lousy because of what you did. If only you were like this, I would feel better, you know. And maybe there's an element of truth to that, and that's what couples counseling is about. But at the same time, a lot of it is the inflammation that we subject ourselves to when we don't understand what food is doing to us. And that's, you know, the insight that I want to bring both to the therapy community and to people who are in therapy because it's like right and left hand. You know, before you go running for a medication to deal with your anxiety, take a look and see if the, you know, the, the highly processed cereal you're eating every morning is something that's inflaming you. I noticed um, a couple of years ago, well, maybe longer, I don't even know when it was, uh, that I was having mood swings from high fructose corn syrup. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I had almost cut it out, I just not even thinking, I just wasn't really eating it, but I, a kryptonite for me is M&M's. Like, if there's an <laughs> M&M around, it's like I will stop in traffic and, like, run across, <laughs> you know, uh, to get it. I love M&M's, but then I realized, not at that time, right, the reward receptors are all going off, it's a good time, I'm loving it, but within 24 to 48 hours, I would just become such a bitch and angry, and like you're saying, that like irritated, and that was consistently the one thing I could trace it back to, and so... Even though I can't say that I never have, have M&Ms anymore. Or that you're bitchy. <laughs> or, and, or that my, listen, I, I own that sometimes my bitchiness is my own and I can't blame it on the high fructose corn syrup. But I have found that just keeping that out of my diet generally 
really has improved my mood and my mood swings in that way. I try, I try not to eat anything with high fructose corn syrup, but sometimes I'll have one of these like moments and I'll think I'll go back and do kind of an inventory. I do that anyways about food and sleep and have I gone to the bathroom and what was the last interaction I had? You know, I go through kind of my inventory. Almost always it comes back to something where maybe it was hyper-processed or not so good for me. Okay, listeners. <laughs> News you can use. <laughs> All you sugar junkies out there. Yes. There is an easy solution. And by the way, this also seems to work pretty well for alcoholics. L-glutamine. It's an amino acid. L-glutamine. That's G-L-U-T-A-M-I-N-E. There's two ways to use it. Um, the old school way, which is the way I tell people to do, three grams, first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, no solid food for 20 minutes. It will kill just about any sweet tooth in anywhere from a week to no more than about eight weeks. You don't want to take it at that dosage for longer than about eight weeks because Amino acids, which is what L-glutamine is, the building blocks of protein. It's, um, these are the closest things to pharmaceuticals that you can get at the health food store. Uh, usually in nature you find mixes of them. And when you take an individual one like this, you are going after a neuroendocrine or some other um, biological pathway. So no longer than eight weeks, please. But it's rare to find a sweet tooth that will survive even five or six weeks of three grams of L-glutamine. Yeah. You take it first thing on an empty stomach because amino acids compete with each other for uptake and assimilation. So you don't want to take it in a formula of amino acids. You don't want to take it with your meals. Take it on an empty stomach. 20 minutes is enough. You'll get the absorption. That will kill a sweet tooth. And I've also seen it um, kill people's cravings for booze without them knowing they were getting it. I've had old family friends come to me and say, you know, uh, dad is uh, kind of driving us all crazy. And I, I had one wife just put it into his eggs every morning, which shouldn't work so well because <laughs> it's with protein. Wonderful. You know? Interesting. But eight weeks to the day just after she started doing Yeah, eight weeks to the day after she started doing that, he went on the wagon. Interesting. So there's all kinds of little tricks like that that people can use when they know what to do. And the most important thing again is to realize, if you're feeling crummy, if you're blaming your job or your wife or your husband or your kids or your kids are blaming you, you know, one thing to look at is what's going in the mouth. Also, I think to add on to that, if you feel sluggish and your partner feels sluggish, then you just have two people who are not really you know, feeling their best selves. So uh, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing just to change your diet and, uh, it, you know, the mood lifts. And I think that's wonderful to say that because also stage of life, right? If you're an adolescent or, you know, uh, perimenopause or menopause or manopause, I really believe in. Uh, but the diet, that's great, great to, to know. I think... Um Oh, I'm sorry. I just totally had a brain fart. <laughs> it was, oh, about relationships. Oh, the microcosm of a family or a couple as well, I think can be incredibly influential. My husband, his triglycerides, he's younger than I am. Uh, and his triglycerides are just 
crazy compared to mine. I mean, and mine are really good, I think, because of the vegetarianism. But his mom has had this issue, too. And she's a nutritionist, and it's a genetic thing, It's you know, for them. He cut out sugar almost completely other than just, like, natural from fruit. Um, and he's really, he's been doing amazing and almost... Within three weeks, he dropped like 15 pounds. His mood was different. He no longer has the craving for it. But I'm still, I mean, we're like Jack Spratt and his wife. (laughs) I'm still kind of a sugar junkie, but it has curbed my sugar consumption because I don't have a partner in crime and I don't bring special things in for him. And then I bring less in for myself. Like, this weekend I was having this urge to make chocolate chip cookies. But I didn't. Because I knew he wouldn't eat them, and I i don't want to eat them all, but, you know, normally, if he were still eating sugar, I would have made it anyways. Uh, so it's changed my behavior as well. So if one thing in the system changes, everything in the system must change, whether or not it wants to. So I wanted to ask you about that. What about behavior? Do you also suggest, oh you know, get the alcohol out or get the sugar out, or do you not even approach that? You just work with the diet nutritional. Meet them where they are. Uh Well, okay. Um, Baby steps are better than giant steps. I agree. So before I try to get people to change their habits, generally what I do is do my best to talk them into getting involved in a course of basic micronutrients. Could you tell us what micronutrients are? Micronutrients are things like B vitamins, trace minerals in the right form. Um, Essential fatty acids made really carefully and antioxidants. Because what I've found is that if I can get people taking those four things, they almost always start to feel better. And once they start to feel better, then I've got a little leverage that I can use to say, you know, um, that, um, you know, um, six pack that you're knocking back every weekend, or, you know, those soda pops that you drink three of a day, or that cheese that you like so much, or the gluten that you're so fond of, you know, those things, you know, might not be serving you so well too. Here's how you can tell See, that's a big part of that, and that's, that's one of the things that, that I try and bring to the table when I'm working with people. I want people to feel the changes in their own bodies, because let me tell you, you want to talk somebody into changing what they eat? Try to get them to change the religion first, you know? That's mm-hmm. a lot simpler. So you've got to give, you know, and, and the one exception to this is people who have had some kind of health crisis. You know, I'm, I'm old enough now, you know, some of my friends are having heart attacks and things like that. Somebody has something like that, if they've been in denial for years, you know, and dancing around me but not really engaging with me, you know, a week or two in the hospital will totally do wonders for their attitude about this stuff. They're born again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, everybody else, it's in, which is, it's better to work before the crisis hits, frankly. You know, in Chinese medicine, we say one disease, long life, no disease, short life. You know, if you've got some chronic thing bedeviling you and you, you know, learn about it and come to terms with it, you're going to wind up taking your better care of yourself than somebody with a stronger constitution who can just thrash things until they get the stroke of the heart attack. And, you know, you, you were saying in micronutrients, it really matters what form they come in. So could you tell us what's 
good form for them versus bad forms? Or okay, how with, can we with tell? With B vitamins, I don't worry that much about how they're made. I do like to see that there's a, um, a really complete mix because some B vitamin formulas will only give you certain ones. Um, the key with starting Bs is if you've never supplemented, you want to start slow. So go out and get a liquid and make sure it's a formula, not just a liquid B12. If you walk into a health food store and ask for liquid B, they'll often assume you just want 12. You want a formula with all of them. And depending on how old somebody is, you know, um, I'll adjust the starting dosage. Typically, the recommended dosage for the liquid will be a teaspoon or a tablespoon a day. I'll start people on one or two drops because they will feed detox pathways. And there's two steps to detox. The first step dredges stuff out of storage in the fat because the body will store its toxins in fat, puts it back into the bloodstream in a more toxic form. And it's in motion again. And in the second step, you grab those toxic intermediates and disarm them a bit and then wash them out. Well, B vitamins push the first stage. So it's real easy if someone is B depleted, which is real easy because B vitamins break down in heat and wash out in water. So if you've been eating a highly processed diet, even if it's quote unquote fortified, there's a good chance that you're B depleted. You start cranking on a um, high potency B formula and you're going to get sick. Most often it'll feel like a cold or a flu, but I've seen everything under the sun. Headaches, skin breakouts, mood swings. I had one guy feel like he got kicked in the stomach, you know. And it all happens because people don't follow my advice and start really slowly and ramp them up. So that's the issue with bees. With trace minerals, they need to be fully chelated. That's combined with amino acids. You go and buy particularly multivitamins. The minerals in there are generally oxides, sulfates, sulfides, and carbonates. Those are inorganic compounds. They break up as soon as they hit stomach acid. So you've are we got talking like one a day or some, exactly. something like that? Not, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got mineral ions swimming around in the gut juice. They have an electrical charge on it. They won't pass through the gut, the gut barrier because it's, it's sort of like, you know, when you take a roll of scotch tape and you pull it out and it wants to stick to the wall, you know, with the static electricity, it's a little like that. Those free-floating mineral ions, they're not going to pass through the long-chain proteins that make up the gut wall. They have to be combined with amino acids. Young guts will do that, but as we get older, we lose that ability. And it's really hard to get a trace mineral formula that's fully chelated where the minerals are well balanced. That's the other issue with mineral formulas because minerals compete with each other for uptake and assimilation, which means that if you get a formula that has large amounts of some and very small amounts of others, the small ones are going to get crowded out. So it really okay. is that fine balance. And I've been looking for decades, and there's only one product I've found that does a good job of it. And no, I don't sell any of this stuff. Yeah. I remember why doctor's offices are not drugstores. Okay, I want my clients to know who I'm really working for. There's only one product I've found that does a really good job of it. They have it here at the local co-op, but that doesn't do much good for my clients in Michigan. But the manufacturer is here in Southern California, and what they do is they make a house brand for smaller stores all over the country. I can't give you the name of it because they package it custom for each health food store. But if anybody wants to know about this particular product, get in touch with me and I will send you the information to call this company. They love my patients. They know what the deal is. And um, 
you know, I'll give you the phone number, the product number, the people to ask for, and they will ship it to you. The nice thing about it is it's one of the best made ones out there, and it's one of the cheapest. You can drop tons of money on a min mineral formula that's not half as good as this one. The EFAs are critical too, essential fatty acids, omega-3s, okay, omegas, some, some to a certain extent omega-6s, but the 3s are what are typically lacking. The other thing that's really important are your omega-3s. Omega-3s tend to be lacking in American diets. The way I explain this is think of B vitamins sort of like the spark plugs in your car. Okay, they're, they're you're talking as if I understand anything in the car, how it works. <laughs> what are spark plugs? You will understand yeah, this. You will understand this. Your car is not going to run without spark plugs. Because what do the spark plugs do? They ignite the gas. Even you, you know up. that. That makes sense. Okay. So, so they're essential catalysts for the body's production of energy. They're also essential for making all sorts of things the body makes. So really... To just mix my metaphors a little bit, B vitamins are like your spark plugs and the auto parts store. Okay. Okay. Your car's not going to run if you don't have spark plugs and if you don't have access to someone to replace the parts when you need that. If B vitamins are like the spark plugs, trace minerals are like the nuts and bolts. Even you know your car needs nuts and bolts. What you may not know is that they need to be tightened to a certain <laughs> specification. But many of us are like cars rattling down the road with nuts and bolts falling out because we don't get enough trace minerals. You don't need very much by weight, but they're crucial parts of everything the body's trying to put together. If B vitamins are like spark plugs, if trace minerals are like the nuts and bolts, EFAs are like the electrical system. They help coordinate all the various processes in the body. And as a bonus, they're also raw materials for the body's natural anti-inflammatories. Okay. Okay. It's this chronic low-grade inflammation that modern industrialized food sets in motion along with stress, along with exposure to toxins, along with chronic low-grade infections that may be under the radar of you know, our lab tests. These are the things that inflame us. They wreck our moods, and they set the stage for all the chronic diseases of aging. Well, omega-3s will help keep that under control. So how can people get their omega-3s in suitable form? Okay, listeners. <laughs> News you can use. <laughs> okay, well, the, the quick and, and easy way is to go get fish oil. I myself do not recommend fish oil. I recommend a product called Flora Brand 369 with DHA. And the reason I recommend it is because omega-3s are extremely fragile molecules. They oxidize if you sneeze at them. The industry standard metal in the fittings for bottling and pressing equipment industry-wide is brass. Brass is electrochemically active. If an omega-3 molecule comes out of the press, whether they're pressing flaxseed or fish, and it hits a brass fitting, it oxidizes, and oxidation is a chain reaction in these puppies. If you have one oxidized omega-3 molecule, come back a day or two later and you're going to have millions, okay? And the other with issue with fish oil is where have those fish been? Sure. You know, it's like, you know, we've got, you know, three nuclear reactors in Japan flooding radioactive isotopes into the Pacific. We've got coal-fired power plants all over the globe putting mercury into the air, you know, volatilizing it. It falls out with the rain. It gets into the water. And the higher on the food chain you are, the more these things tend to be um, concentrated. So, And the average person 
just you know that sees oh you should take fish oil will just get a big bottle and that's what they'll start taking but what you just said is so important well here's one God. quick way of telling whether you're dealing with a company who is on who is at least yeah. more on top of this than most is what you're buying in the refrigerator well-made omega-3 products whether they're fish oil or flax will be in the fridge because the people who are making them know that this chain reaction oxidation is an issue. Okay, so that's one thing. I mean, it's really hard to be perfect. And thank God we do have detoxification pathways in our body, and they seem to be pretty good. That's another subject. How do we feed them? Okay, this can go on for a while, <laughs> as you can tell. Um, but to just you know finish you know to, to tie it up with the with the omega threes, I recommend a product again called Florabrand three six nine with DHA because they have fabricated their own custom electrochemically neutral fittings for the bobbing and pressing equipment. They audit their distribution chains. It's refrigerated from the moment it comes out of the press in the warehouse in transit, and it's supposed to be refrigerated at the store. From time to time, you'll see a store that's not refrigerated. And if you do, you can call up Florabrand and they'll say, okay, we'll send our distributor out to chat with them because they want it refrigerated. They know how important this is. A little pricey for some folks. If money is a big issue, you can also, one workaround here is just buy flaxseed and grind it up. Just but pure, regular, not, the not a, a concentrate or a cap capsule, but... Flaxseed like the flaxseed at Trader Joe's? Like yeah. the flaxseed at Trader Joe's. Try and make sure it's organic. Yeah. Okay. Organic is important. But you can grind up and just, you want to do this fresh. Eat a couple of tablespoons of the meal a day, and that will also give you omega-3s. It is possible to overdo omega-3s. If you find that you're starting to itch and, and get other breakouts and things like that, you can be overdoing the omega-3s. There needs to be a balance between omega-3s and omega-6s. But most of us eating American diets, even organic American diets, we're getting a lot of omega-6s because they're in grains, okay, and they're going to be in meats that are fed with grains. Um, and we're not getting enough omega-3s. So if B vitamins are like the spark plugs, if trace minerals are like the nuts and bolts, if EFAs are like the electrical system, getting plenty of antioxidants is like keeping the car clean. You've even probably noticed the car runs better when it's clean, right? Sure, 100%. Okay. Yep. Why would that be? Well, less wind resistance. You know, a car with lots of dust and grit on it goes down the freeway and it's creating more turbulence. You clean that car off, wax it, it slips through the air, motor doesn't work so hard. And that's true in every aspect of things. I mean, just think about the difference between going into your kitchen to make a meal and then everything's organized and clean and going in and somebody has left a mess all over the place, you know. So antioxidants help clean things up. And one of the reasons your vegan diet is probably helping you, there's two reasons. One is fresh fruits and vegetables have lots of antioxidants in them. And again, it's a good idea to be getting a rich mix because they work as a team. Okay. And the other thing, this is the cutting edge of functional medicine. A diet that's rich in fruits and vegetables with plenty of antioxidants also has lots of really small peptides that you consume along with them. And it turns out that our genes respond to those peptides. You know, it, it's, it's said that our genes are sometimes, it's likened to a, um, a program, you know, like a computer program that, 
you know, runs our bodies. Well, you know if you run any software, you're probably using just a small piece of what it's actually capable of doing. It's the peptides in those fruits and vegetables that turn on and off the genes. So we need to think of food not just as fuel for the body, although it is, but it's also information. It tells our genetic structure what parts of itself it should express and not express. So we were designed to grow up on diets like that. We were designed to thrive on diets like that. But the thing is, it's an acquired taste. It's much easier if we're eating highly industrialized design. You know, the food companies, the big food companies, they have squads of people with advanced degrees whose whole job it is to um, design foods that leverage our cravings so that we eat more of them. More salt, more sugar, more cheese, uh -huh. more bread, yeah. 60 Minutes did a special on this. It's called The Flavorists. You can get it online. So, you know, it takes some awareness of how we feel when we indulge those cravings to get to a point where you go, you know, I'm tired of this, like you were saying. You know? Well, it's, it's, it's an addiction that, I mean, I, and I, I think people I know often talk about sugar addiction because I think that that's really obvious. But I think food in general, because you're talking about salt and oils as well. I mean, all of those things combined can, like you said, we've got all this food that's designed almost to make us addicted, to reel us in. I'm not trying to blame it on others, but you know that there is an industry behind it. There's a con consumerism, right? It's a conscious corporate strategy right. carried out by well-meaning people who, like many of us, just don't realize the full implications of what they're doing. You're so kind. See, I, I think maybe I, on some level I feel like there's there are people who know exactly what they're doing and they're just more interested in selling us more and more and, and you know when you see those commercials too for like fast food restaurants which i don't eat any fast food anymore i mean i haven't eaten it in probably 15 20 years um but where every every week it seems like they're coming out with some new abomination of food right it's, it's like, like food porn right with yeah. the tv shows right. and food network and yeah all seducing us it's to such think a cultural yeah. thing but seriously there's no guy with long hair and a goatee and a lab coat sitting somewhere rubbing his hands through them going <laughs> what can we do to poison them today I, that's not I how it works i agree you know what you do have are sea level people making lots of money um in denial and you know not really wanting to know Exactly. Yeah, it's you know. the denial factor. I then. didn't want to know. I didn't. I was a vegetarian for a couple of years in my twenties, and then one Thanksgiving evening, I just had, I needed a huge turkey sandwich, and then that turned into hamburgers. And before you know it, I ate meat again. And no disrespect, but my whole world has changed now. Wherever I look, it's like. I'm, you know, I'm, I feel like I should join PETA or something because it's, I'm so passionate now about, you know, animal cruelty and all that stuff. But yeah, I'm just, I, and I just all this research and just learning more and more. And, you know, it, it just, uh, 
what are the the meat we eat that's a great website mm-hmm. um i mean just all the you know i'm yeah I'm, the environmental working group is really good if you want information on this but i agree a lot of people don't they just don't want to know tell me lies tell me sweet little lies You know, it's like, okay, one person said, let's package it all beautiful and everything. But if you really take a look at where everything comes from, you wouldn't want to eat certain things. But the nice thing is, it's relatively easy with the right tools to give people who are starting to think about this an experience of feeling better with very simple things. I mean... You know, yes, you can go on and on. This is endless. You know, what I always tell my clients is the wonderful thing about functional medicine is there's always more you can do. And the terrible thing about functional medicine is there's always more you can do, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's best, again, baby steps are better than giant steps. But it's amazing how much small changes can start to influence the way we feel, particularly, you know, I look at, you know, this this mindset that I kind of see as ubiquitous today. So many people are angry. So many people are jaded and cynical. So many people are finger pointing and suspecting the motivations of everybody else. And I see that as largely a function of obviously the behaviors that we can all point to, you know, but also the food that inflames us because it's the food that inflames us that makes us feel that we need to take advantage of others it's part of it i'm not gonna say it's the whole thing it's obviously also family of origin stuff it's also stress and the traumas that we've been through but it's the food that sets the neuroendocrine stage for all of that behavior so so the food is part of how we're receiving all those things because all of all those things you just mentioned i mean they can be real and really happening but it's about how we're processing them or reacting to them Well, and anybody who's had much therapy at all knows that we have choice about how we interpret what goes on, Mm -hmm. you know? Another way to say it is we get a lot more out of loving our enemy than hating them. Absolutely. You know, if we can put ourselves in the other person's shoes, you know, and this is like, you know, the foundation of just about every religion under the sun. If we put ourselves in the other guy's shoes and start to try and understand where they're coming from, we can even deal with their acting out a whole lot more effectively than if we are just in reactive mode and we've got two people just reacting to each other. That's what brings people, hopefully, to therapy, right? Sure, yeah. You know? Learning the difference between reactions and responses. So that that shift, the shift from it's all your fault to, you know, maybe we need to get some help. That's very similar to the shift that I try to precipitate, which is, you know, you may be feeling cynical, jaded, and angry, not just because of what you object to in society and other people and the political culture and all of that, but because you're inflaming yourself every day. And here's what you can do about it, because there is no end to the things that we can do. Just remember what I told you the day I set you free. a little bit about cortisol and what it does to us and 
and how we can combat that. I know we've touched on a lot of things, but cortisol has a relationship with inflammation. Absolutely. Well, cortisol is an anti-inflammatory, just like cortisone, okay? But anybody who's been around a doctor's office with inflammation knows you can, they'll only give you so many cortisone shots, right? Why? Because cortisol, cortisone, shuts down the processes that our bodies use to refresh themselves. Okay, our bodies have a lot more in common with a candle flame than a tabletop. Our bodies are constantly engaged in a process of identifying worn out cells and tissues, taking them apart, getting rid of the waste, rebuilding new tissue in its place. That generally happens when we're uh, sleeping, when we're relaxed, when we're stressed, the body basically decides that it has more important things to do than stay young, like stay alive, okay? Mm -hmm. Today, modern life tends to put us in states of chronic stress. And you can see this, in, and it's cortisol that, um, that mediates that, okay, that, that does that. You can really see this in somebody who's been off to war or been in a bad accident or lost a loved one. We've all known people who have aged 10 years in a few months that's the effect of high cortisol. It shuts down those refreshing processes. That's the rate at which we would naturally age if we didn't have these rebuilding processes going on. So cortisol is secreted when we're under stress. And it's designed to be a fairly short-term phenomenon. You know, it's, you know, Adrenaline and norepinephrine are the really short-term ones. You know, the, the tiger leaps off the rock and is coming at us, and adrenaline, norepinephrine floods our uh, system, and it dumps sugar into the bloodstream, which is why some people get addicted to drama. Some people get addicted to, you know, life-threatening activities. Toxic relationships. Okay. Toxic relationships. Yep. Because those stress hormones dump sugar into the bloodstream. Sugar gives us the dopamine surge. So it's easy to get addicted to it, just like to cocaine or to sugar. Absolutely. Okay. But the body clears adrenaline norepinephrine pretty quickly. Behind those two comes cortisol. And cortisol's job is to put us in a state of hyper-alertness. Maybe we've outrun the tiger, but it might catch up to us. Or maybe we killed it, but maybe it's got a mate nearby. So now we're temporarily safe, but we're in the forest, and we want to be listening really acutely because we want to pick up any signs of danger in case we're not out of danger. But, you know, in a supportive natural environment, these things come and go, and they pass, okay? And then we go back to being relaxed. But modern life does not do that for us. Modern life keeps us in a state of chronic stress. Most of our jobs will do that. Driving in traffic will do that. Dysfunctional relationships will do that. And the food will do that. Exposure to toxins will do that. Chronic low-grade infections that our body's um, immune system can keep under control but not completely eliminate will do that. And when those things are happening, the adrenals will put out excess cortisol. How do we know this is happening? Well, cortisol, remember, um, shuts down the processes that the body uses to refresh itself. And there's a part of the brain in the hypothalamus that's whose, whose job it is to monitor how much cortisol we're putting out. It has denser cortisol receptor sites than any other part of the central nervous system. And that means 
it's the thermostat and that means it burns out faster. And so after a while what can happen is that that monitoring part, which would normally be telling the adrenals how much cortisol to make, stops responding and it's like living in a house where the thermostat is broken and the heater stays on all the time. So in the first stage of adrenal burnout we get high cortisol and the way that often shows up is people who are chronically anxious and the classic sign is tired and wired because you have a hard time getting to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. You go to bed and you lie there and the brain is going, going, going and you can't fall asleep. What do we do about that? Well, depends what level you want to take. There's the shoot from the hip methods and then there's get it tested, find out what's going on and really take care of it method. And that's selling the shoot from the hip methods a little short because they can sometimes take care of it too. There's a woman named Amy Day who works with this. And she doesn't work with any of the high-tech stuff. What she does is she tells people, you know, the adrenals like to be boring. Huh? If you want to heal your adrenals, get up at the same time every day. Exercise at the same time every day. Eat at the same time every day. Because if you take care of your adrenals like that, they will often slowly heal. The way people get themselves in trouble is pushing themselves during the week. Maybe they're only sleeping four or five hours a night and they try to make up for it on the weekends. Or maybe they just exercise like crazy once in a while. Or they'll just take a pill like or Tylenol just... PM or uh, mel what do you think about melatonin? Complicated to use. It's um, for people who can get it to work. Uh, it's one of the most powerful ways of getting sleep when you're tired and wired but it's really hard to dose it right. You underdose it and it doesn't work. You overdose it and people wake up hungover. So if you're dealing with high cortisol, rather than going the melatonin route, one of the best things to do is work with something called phosphorylated serine or phosphatidylserine. Phosphorylated serine is a little better and there's a company called Serifos that makes a really good one. So Google Serifos phosphorylated serine, it speeds up the rate at which the body um, eliminates cortisol. And I've read studies and articles too that say we wake up with a high level of cortisol, a higher level just naturally. Exactly. And so what happens though, over time, when that control mechanism that burns, burns out in the brain, the first thing that happens is you overproduce cortisol generally. And then you're hypermanic, you can't go to sleep and all of that. But eventually the adrenals get tired of that and they start to burn out. And then you start to see a drop in cortisol production, in DHEA production. And this gets kind of complicated because you'll see the adrenals are basically the, 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 the queen of controlling the endocrine system. So all, starts, all sorts of things start to go awry. Okay, people stop making their sex hormones. Okay, they'll lose their interest in sex. Um, periods will go awry. Um, the other thing that happens is, because cortisol does wake us up in the morning, one of the things that happens is that people have a hard time getting out of bed. Okay, they have a hard time getting going in the morning. So, so what do they do? They often. go and knock back, you know, lots of caffeine, which further stresses the adrenals. <laughs> <laughs> or they'll get into uppers, you know, some of the meds for ADHD, things like that. But as cortisol production drops, we tend to get depressed. We tend to get sluggish. You can start to see problems with thyroid function, okay? 
Um, and there what you run into is something that often presents as lack of motivation, lack of achievement, problems with attention. You know, there's a lot of kids on Ritalin who really have fried adrenals, even at that age, and it works for a while. But you know, long-term studies have been done that show that kids on Ritalin don't actually perform academically better than kids with ADHD who don't take Ritalin when you look years down the road. Initially, they do. Moving on. What's the youngest you will uh, a child can get acupuncture? Oh, my. Um, I myself don't think I would want to do acupuncture on someone much younger than 10. Oh, okay. Um, there are people who will. But frankly, these days, I mean, acupuncture is really good for short-term reduction of stress. And because there's a whole dynamic here which we haven't talked about, which has to do with gut health and what stress does to the gut and the microbiome, um, you will often see aggressive courses of acupuncture help people, and particularly if you can get people on you know, basic micronutrients or more traditionally trained people might put people on Chinese herbs, which is another way of doing the same thing, you will see prolonged benefit from that. But what I always tell people is, um, you know, nobody's getting ill because of a deficiency of acupuncture needles. Lots of people have problems because they're not getting their basic micronutrients or they're exposed to toxins or, you know, all of that. So it works a lot better. You know, it's, I, I see, in, in my own work, I'm moving much more toward education and away from treatment. Part of that's economics. You know, the universe of people who can afford aggressive courses of acupuncture, you know, is smaller and smaller every year. Uh, insurance companies are paying about a quarter in inflation-adjusted terms mm -hmm. as they were 30 years ago when I, you know, got my education and Andy in. So it's really hard to, um, at least in California, I don't know how it is in other states, become harder here to really do an acupuncture practice that thrives. There are a few people who do it, but there's a lot of people who aren't. But this other approach, teaching people how to take better care of themselves, supporting them through the process, that's really where it's at. And there's a whole boatload of information and, and evidence in peer-reviewed literature. It's so much more advanced than it was 30, 35 years ago when I first started working. So it's, it's, it's a really rich time to be doing this kind of work. But the acupuncture is good for helping calm people down, especially if people are in crisis mode and they need something that's gonna change things right away. You have to go at it fairly aggressively, two, three treatments a week, you know, if somebody's um, you know, really on a cliff. But there are people that I meet who, you know, have never meditated. They don't exercise. It's been years since they've felt calm. And you put some pins into them, and I always do a little neck and shoulder work on people. They get up off the table, and their eyes are bright, and their shoulders have dropped, and they're like, whoa, what was that? And it's like, this is your birthright. Yeah. This is the way you should feel. Now let's get to work on what you can do so that you feel that way more often because in the end, the job, I think, of any um, practitioner with ethics is to make our work unnecessary. I always tell my clients, you know, my most important job is to make it unnecessary to see people like me. 
And I always say that too, you know, I don't want to do 20 years of therapy. I want to help people and, you know, so that they can share their feelings and identify whatever's going on with them, but help them with solutions so that they can go and live life and know that I'm here if they need to, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to sit for 20 years talking about a problem. I want people to enjoy life. And this is so important. Everything that you're saying is just so fascinating. And I know that our listeners are really going to appreciate it. It's uh, it, it education is just money in the bank, you know, it's, and I love that you say early intervention, because of course, if we can, and I like that you are talking to therapists because it's, it is the mind body connection. It's whoever you can tell. I mean, I'm thinking of 10 people I want to send to you right now. I'm like, oh gosh. I just want to emphasize though, nutrition is important, but it's not the whole story. Right. Therapy is crucial too. Mm -hmm. You can have a perfect diet and it's not going to teach you how to understand the dysfunctional patterns that you've developed over a lifetime of stress. So that's where the behavioral stuff comes in. It's not going to hold your hand or give you insights or be there for you, you know, reflecting back at you, giving you someone to process with. It can't do that. But what it can do for particularly for, you know, everybody who does therapy, you know, some people just get stuck. And sometimes, maybe much of the time, when people aren't making progress, what a lot of us are trained to do is refer to a psychiatrist for medication, right? What I'm here to say is that maybe it's a good idea to check out some of this more naturalistic stuff too, particularly for people who have learned or who have intuited that there are, there can be problems with the psychiatric medications, particularly over long periods of time. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a good idea to check out what else you can do because there is a lot else there is a lot else you can do. <laughs> the truth is out there. I just have one quick question about potatoes. I heard potatoes are good for depression. What do you think about that? Oh my. Well, okay. That's interesting. It kind of depends on the potato. Um, <laughs> if that potato is a real asshole, don't bring him around. It's just going to ruin your mood. Nobody's going to want to stay for the third course. Okay, well, some potatoes are richer on the uh, resistant prebiotic starch. And this is one thing we haven't had time to talk about today. You know, we might want to have a discussion about the microbiome. But um, it turns out, you know, that for every human cell in our bodies, there are 10 microbes in our gut. So, you know, a question arises, are we humans with a microbiome or are we a microbiome with a human? Microbiomes, again, are the, the colonies of help, hopefully helpful bacteria that live in our gut and perform all sorts of crucial functions for us, including regulating inflammation and including generating neurotransmitters. Now, some people will say the neurotransmitters that the gut bugs generate don't get into the brain because of the blood-brain barrier. What they're missing is that the emotional part of the brain, the hypothalamus, is outside the blood-brain barrier. And they're also forgetting about the peripheral nervous system and the vagus nerve. Okay, which runs from the gut to the brain. So there's all sorts of ways for our gut bacteria to talk to the brain and influence our moods. And one of the things that goes on when we crave sugar is that the gut bugs that need sugar to survive, which are not the healthy ones, have learned to talk to our brain and influence our cravings so that we eat the things that they need that's poisoning us. So getting those gut bugs healthy are important. and. For some of us, the prebiotic resistant starch is a way of feeding the good bacteria. 
And so that will calm inflammation, it will help stabilize our moods, and do all sorts of other things. All by itself, I'm not going to say that that's enough, though, Yeah. for some people. Fascinating. I had more red potatoes in our house now, because that's something that my husband was told are okay for him to eat over white potatoes or yellow sure, potatoes. Sure, sure. And different, different potatoes have different glycemic indexes. You know, they'll raise blood sugar at different rates. That has a lot to do with how powerful the dopamine surge is. I know you've touched on this uh, around uh, a bunch of other things that we've talked about here, but in terms of keeping people young, is there any sort of magic bullets to that? I mean, how do people use nutrition or food to stay young? Okay, well, there's some, um, you know, there's some basic guidelines that we might want to follow. And those of you who have been checking into this will recognize these things right away. Eat the rainbow. Okay, that's a common one, right? The more color in your diet, the richer the mix of antioxidants, phytonutrients, flavonoids, and those peptides that turn our genes on and off, the richer a mix you're going to have eat the edges of the grocery store. It's the stuff in the center of the grocery store where all the highly processed stuff is and the less processed our diets are, you know, generally the better we will do. Learn about pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory foods, which is kind of like eating the edge of the grocery store again to paint with a broad brush. You know, processed diets tend to be highly inflammatory and inflammation is like sand in the gears. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to, you know, add some fine silt to your oil in your engine, right? Because it's going to wear out the engine. Inflammation does that to us. And the more pro-inflammatory our diets are, you, you can Google this stuff too. And you can also go to my website. You know, there's information there. What about probiotics? Probiotics are really helpful. They're very hot right now. They're trending right now. I just, I'm laughing because I am, I've started that too. My, yeah. my own experience. It's a hot topic, you know, <laughs> vegans and probiotics. My, my own experience is that what you buy in the store in capsules isn't nearly as powerful as eating fermented foods. And it's a lot cheaper too. So learn about fermented foods. You know, I was taking probiotics in capsules for a long time. I didn't see much. I started drinking a little um, shot glass full of kefir after every meal. And, oh boy, did I start to see changes. Kefir's dairy, you can't eat it. Oh, well, although there are some, are there kefirs that are? There may be, I, I, I don't know about that. But there but are probiotics, um, like Kavita, I think. Kavita kombucha, drinks. sauerkraut, yeah. you know, cheese is actually a fermented food. Um, I really don't other, eat that much cheese, there's, there's, just for the record. <laughs> not that it matters, but... Uh, yeah, cheese is a fermented food, isn't it? I do have gut issues. Um, but yeah, it's correct. possible to overdo. See, if you've got a gut like a lot of us do, with a lot of unhealthy critters in there, and you start feeding prebiotic starches and sometimes even probiotic foods into that, you can wind up with bugs where you don't need them because all those bugs are supposed to be in the large intestine. And if you're eating them, they're going through the small intestine. And ideally, they make it all the way through the small intestine into the large intestine without hanging out too much in the small intestine. But it's possible to overdo things with probiotics, the prebiotic starches, and start accumulating bugs in the small intestine. And then that's called 
the SIBO and you get a lot of bloating when you eat. So sometimes it's important to set the stage for doing um, a lot of probiotics. If you're doing probiotics and you notice you're getting constipated or you're getting a lot of gas or bloating, then, then you may need to do some prep work before you start um, feeding a lot of healthy bugs in there. Well, it sounds like uh, most of the stuff you've been saying, it's best to start off slow anyways and not overdo it, see what the individual balance is that you might need for, for your car. For your piece of machinery. <laughs> baby steps. Baby steps are better than giant steps. You know, make a change or two. Learn how to incorporate it into your process. I mean, when I'm working with clients, especially ones in parts of the country where there's not a health food store in every corner, um, you know, people often want to run before they can walk. And, you know, and then they get overwhelmed. So I always say, just do a few things first make it become a habit. When you get to the point where you're not thinking about it that much, then take some other steps. There may be exceptions to that when people are in crisis, but as a rule of thumb, you know, the things that we do slowly tend to stick with us better than the things that we do all dramatically. And the people who come to me and say, oh, I want to do everything right now, just tell me what to do, they rarely stick with it, you know. I'd rather work with the people who are mildly resistant because I can help them get past the resistance and then they will usually stick with it, you know. It's so inspirational, really. I just want to go get all those things that you mentioned. <laughs> I want to go. Wait, uh, so Amazon, it, are, are, I know there are, you know, uh, wonderful places like G&Z or whatever, but where where could somebody start? Off? Okay, well. Because um, I can imagine this is the Amazon generation, right? Everybody Right. You know, I'm, I'm fond of Vitacost and Vitamin Shop. I get a lot of stuff through Vitamin Shop. Um, it's important to know which products are kind of generic and which are not. You know, like I don't care too much about B vitamins or antioxidants. You know, I care that people get them, but I don't care. I don't care too much about the sourcing. Seems to be kind of hard to mess them up. I care a lot about the sourcing on the minerals and the EFAs, as I said. Um, to get the trace mineral product that I recommend, people need to get in touch with me to get the ordering information. Okay, the EFAs, um, the Floor Brand 369, um, just about any good health food store will carry it. I recommend the one with DHA. And by the way, if you're a single person and you're doing this, get the small bottle, not the big one. You go into the health food store, they'll want to sell you the big bottle because it's, it's a, a deal per ounce. But the thing is, once you open that bottle and air gets in there, it starts to go bad. So you want to get the small bottle and just keep refreshing it. I think they sell an 8.5 ounce, a 17 ounce, and a 32 ounce or something like that. Don't buy the big bottle. Buy the small bottle. Okay. Yeah. Or if that's too much of a hassle, you can punt with fish oil, but try and get one that's in the fridge. And think about switching over to the flax when you can. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all flax all the time because... What does that mean? Like a flaxseed oil I would use. And I, I actually, now I have to go get liquid because I take capsules because also heart disease runs in my family. And so that's one of those things that I'm always. But be careful because about. if all you're getting is the flax, you can get the other imbalance. Most of us have too many omega-6s, not enough omega-3s. But if you load up on the omega-3s with no balancing omega-6s, you can wind up with too many omega-3s too. So that's where the so, lab work comes into. 
Well, or it's where getting a product like three, six, nine. That's right. what it refers to. It has the balance of threes and sixes. If memory serves me right, the ratio is two to one. They try and give you twice as much omega threes as omega sixes because most of what we get in our diets are the other way around. Too many of sixes, not enough threes. So that's why they do that. For me, I just because I don't eat meat, I'm. I, and I've never really thought that I had an issue with sixes. Those are from grains, right? Right. As you said. Um, but maybe I need to try it. Who knows? I don't know. It's not my area of expertise, obviously. That's why we have you here. What about chia seeds? What What's oh. that? Any helpful? Not helpful? Protein. Uh, I think chia seeds are wonderful. Um, if you ask me why, I'd have to do a little homework to be able to come back and, and speak to that with any authority. I just know people say take some chia seeds or spread them around. If memory serves me right, they have um, a little richer protein mix than a lot of seeds, but don't quote me on that. But it is, they are a high protein seed. I know that because I I discovered them a while ago, but I also found that when I had too much of them, then my body sort of revolted too. Really? How did your body revolt to chia seeds? <laughs> is that something you can share uh, in public? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. For me, like I said, I've got these gut issues, and it's really something for me to discuss probably off the air. But um, oh, go just ahead. Trying to find that balance between um, like uh, high fiber foods, foods that are good for me, or whatever that aren't too rough on my system, uh, because I have a very sensitive gut that's been through a lot. Okay, well, just uh, here's a teaser for next time. Mm-hmm. I've been a vegetarian for over 40 years. Yay. And I'm here to tell you that a lot of us have a real hard time on vegetarian and vegan diets because we're not conscious enough of our need for protein intake and how that works. There's eight essential amino acids that we need in the right balance altogether in order to properly nourish our systems. And one of the first system to fall down when we don't get adequate protein is the gut. The gut lining turns over faster than just about any other system in the body. So if we starve it of essential amino acids, then it can't do that. Gut function starts to weaken and that sets in motion all kinds of havoc. Another issue that we have as vegetarians and vegans is saturated fat. You know, saturated fat, for a long time we were taught that it was bad, but it's crucial for the formation of cholesterol, and cholesterol is a crucial feedstock for all our hormones. Not to mention, you know, um, we need it to, to, you know, the brain is all fat. The heart wants to run just on fat. So it's, it's important to be getting our fats, and when we're vegetarians and vegans, we really need to be paying attention to that too. The quick and, and the quick and clean solution is coconut oil. Coconut oil is a saturated fat. If you get it organic, um, it's fairly good quality. And I myself learned that when I started doing a tablespoon or two of coconut oil every day, my gut stabilized because it's also will kill off the fungus in the gut. Hmm. bad fungus. One of the issues we run into as vegetarians and vegans is it's easy to become a carbitarian. Yeah. And that's when Mm -hmm. you get into fluctuating blood sugar levels. And part of what's going on there is it's feeding the unhealthy critters in our gut who have learned to talk to our brain and tell us to eat the things they want that aren't good for us. Are you referring to the starch-based 
diet-ish? Uh, um, yeah, okay. yeah. But also, those of us, you know, I mean, how many of you vegetarians out there have a secret sweet tooth? <laughs> or have been through periods where you had, I know I did. You know, that's what got me into this area to begin with. My fluctuating blood sugar levels almost made me do myself in. You know, and then I was like, no, 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 no. What are we going to do about this? And I, f I went to an early orthomolecular psychiatrist who taught me what swinging blood sugar levels was doing to my mood. I got that under control. Took me about, he, he cut out all carbs. How did you find him? <laughs> I was, um, okay, I had narrowly escaped a uh, suicide attempt in a gorgeous part of Northern California. Came back down and started crashing on my parents' couch. Got a job driving school bus, which should terrify anybody with school-age kids. <laughs> um, and one of my coworkers at the, um, I was in my early 20s, um, one of my coworkers at the school bus place saw me making beelines to the vending machine. He said, Dwayne, have you um, ever um, heard of hypoglycemia? And I hadn't. I'd helped start a health food store, but I hadn't heard of hypoglycemia. So I was in Los Angeles, off I went to the UCLA Medical Library, back in the day when it was all card catalogs, went to the card catalog, found the Journal of Orthomolecular Medicine. It was talking about it, and the then president of the Society of Orthomolecular Medicine was a guy named Harvey Ross, and he had an office on the west end of Sunset here. So this was around 78. And I went to him, and he had me go for a blood sugar tolerance test at uh, Ross Luce, the forerunner of Kaiser. And they did the, t you know, I downed the big sugar drink that you do all day and peed into the cup, you know, and they sent me home. He got the results a couple weeks later, called me in. He looked at it, and he said, well, according to this, you're normal. And he saved my life. There's a whole discussion to be had about normal lab results. We'll save that for another time. He saved my life. He took those results, balled them up, threw them in the trash can, put me on this carb-restricted diet. No sweets, no root vegetables with starchy stuff, no chips, no fruit, you know, nothing like that. Two weeks later, my energy started coming back. I started feeling good. And I realized I had never felt good before in my life. And I realized I was surrounded by people who had never felt good in their lives. And I thought to myself, holy moly, if this small of a change to one thing can have this dramatic of an effect on me, what else is there? And that's what launched into my career. And as the years went by, I also started by asking myself, if this awareness was more widespread, what would it do for society? Because I'm an old hippie, you know, and, and, you know, we always want to do something to make the world better. So that's my work now, you know. Uh, education as, you know, a substitute for treatment. Training programs for people to do what you do. So and that. you do it gl uh, globally or uh, with technology as well? Oh yeah, I have people all over the country right now, and I've had I've had people in the UK. Um, I've had people in Australia come to me. Did you did you work with your parents? You said you were taking care of them when they were in their nineties and going through these, which is I mean that's a long time to live, uh, or is that just genetic luck? Well, um, both my parents outlived all their ancestors, and uh, we seem to be a family on the spectrum. 
you know you may get a little glimpse you know as I get into my bio geeky stuff you know I'm one of those guys like oh information data bring it on well when I was younger I had a lot more of the signs of being on the spectrum my uh, nephew's been formally diagnosed my father showed a lot of the signs of it my mother was a World War II era nurse and God bless her for all her other challenges she had a healthy suspicion of doctors all her life Every, you know she was a stay-at-home mom all these home-cooked meals she wasn't really into the, she was a depression era kid so she never got into organic produce which is a shame because she ultimately developed uh, Parkinson's and that's kind of you know what made her fall and that was what set the stage for you know her glide path down and out into transitioning but um, she did her best to feed all of us as healthily as her state of awareness allowed her to and they got into taking supplements and when my dad was in his early 80s he started taking long naps and he started showing some short-term memory deficits and so um, she and I both got over ourselves and she called me in to try and help him out and I started giving him things to do basic micronutrients things to nourish the brain and lo and behold he stopped taking naps and he started fixing the washing machine again and doing his own tune-ups and things that he had used to do so you know it was kind of a, a touch and go you know there were things I would want to do and it would take them a while before they would be ready to implement them toward the end of her life my mom got tired of taking so many pills and so she forced us to, to you know cut back on the things she was taking and uh, she passed on about a year later my dad's still with us he's totally outlived all of his relatives wow. um, I've started feeding his methylation pathways with methylated B vitamins which is a kind of a tricky thing to do you need to know what you're doing to do that well you know not everybody needs methylation and if you do even if you do need it you need to start in the wrong in the <laughs> need to start it in the right way but um, He's perked up. He's starting to express himself more. He was your classic World War II Depression era survivor who was very kept everything close to his chest didn't express himself very much and He's just blossomed as we've started feeding his methylation pathways. How old is he again? He's 96 now. Oh my gosh. That's Beautiful. so inspiring. His dad died in his uh, mid-40s so yeah I'm, and and we managed to arrest his uh, cognitive and memory decline and en energy and everything seems well okay he's 96 yeah, so, yeah. You know, he's not tap dancing and you know and a lot of damage was done before yeah. i really got to work with him yeah, yeah but you know the main thing is he's really enjoying his life you know yeah. and a lot of it is the love that my sister gives him because she just adores him and mm -hmm. she takes such good care of him and she can have much deeper conversations with him than I can <laughs> but you know it's it's also you know we're finally able to, to really keep it in, in assisted living it was always you know the question are they doing what they say they're doing for him or are they not you know and you get things set up with people and there's a lot of turnover and those people leave and you don't know that they've left so things get balls get dropped and it takes months to find out you know so it's it's much better for him to be with her and, and closely monitored but yeah, I mean, he's astonished. He's like, I've outlived everybody, <laughs> you know. And he seems to be happier and stronger than he was even a couple of years ago. Well, That's I'm fantastic. sure he's very proud of you because you you are just so inspirational, really. Yeah, this I'm is so 
fascinating here. There's so many things well, thanks we for could inviting. keep talking. But we need to start wrapping up. So let's talk about Dr. Wendy's dream journal exercise. Dr. Wendy's dream journal. <laughs> so I was thinking about this topic and about my personal experience. And one of the things that I find helpful is mindfulness eating and didn't know anything about it at all. And then, you know, snowballs into the vegan and healthy living. And I found myself eating a different way, relaxing and really enjoying and really being aware. I just have this awareness I never had before and clarity, focus, concentration, and even to the eating. So I think that for a journal activity, something could be uh, talking about, you know, how you eat now, or just, you know, even make uh, little, uh, what do you call it, bullet points. You know, my journals doesn't have to be, dear journal, in five pages. No, it, but it whatever can. you want it to be. Yeah. A five-day food diary. Okay, is great. incredibly revealing. Please, so yes. And just exactly. the exercise of doing that brings awareness in ways that are new. So, so I love that. Okay, so the five-day journal. What should be included in a five-day food tracking? It also helps to chart how you feel. I was just going to say, yeah. And yep. if you've got pain, does the pain come and go? Yes. You know, do a fi- doing a five-day food diary with that kind of journaling. Yes can be extraordinarily revealing. And also awareness, I think, just the mindfulness of how you are eating. So often I'll see people who are just, you know, just shoving food and they're just not relaxed, they're not breathing, they're not enjoying. It's just rushing, rushing, rushing. Well, I think that speaks to our our culture too, right? Is that we're not not carving out the time uh, to make our meals a priority anymore. There are things we're doing in the car. We're doing them in front of the TV. We're like, uh, moms are just shoving some things in their mouths while they're cooking food for their kids. Um, and so it's that so goes manic-y. to the mindfulness that you're talking about, Wendy. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean, in the car and here you go and rush, rush, rush. And it's just, there's not even a moment. If you can't stop and breathe and you can't stop and take a little bit of just... Uh, uh, you know, is some fruit or some vegetables or something, and how does it taste? And what does it feel like? And it, it, you know, to not rush, to just enjoy the to to be in the here and the now. You have to move heaven and earth to make that happen, but it's so important because if you don't have control over your breath and the way that we are experiencing the moment, we really don't have anything. And it has a lot to do with how well we digest and assimilate the nutrients and what we are eating. You know, we need to turn eating from a chore into a celebration. Totally. But not so much of a celebration that we fetishize it, I think. (laughs) I do feel like there's got to be that balance. We do use food as so much of a reward in this society. And I know we've talked about that a little bit today. And... Um, that, like you said, it, at something earlier about taking something that we eat every day and making it into something that's like more a special occasion, like a treat, maybe once a week as opposed to every day, um, trying to shift that. So maybe that's something people could do in their journals too, is after doing your five-day tracking, also 
think about what's there or what's coming up as something that you're eating every day that maybe you don't have to that you could make a that you could make the special treat that you could make the reward because we do need rewards we don't want to shut off that sure. whole part of our system either because that's what motivates us in life it's not a good idea to try and be perfect about this stuff i mean i have the occasional pizza Maybe a little more than occasionally, you know? And I know about this stuff. I love pizza. I miss pizza. And I hate vegan cheese. Oh, my God. I hate it so bad. It's awful. It's so gross. Well, you got to go to Crossroads. I I think I had a traumatic experience enough where I'm just... I, I, I What I'm saying is that once in a while, like you said, you know, yes, I'm going to eat cheese. I love cheese. I miss it. I don't crave it, though. It's a very interesting thing. Life without craving something is new. It's fascinating. Well, it'll be interesting to see if you ever do jump back into the cheese. Oh, I will. Into I'm the gonna... cheese wheel. Oh, I if like you, that image. For sure. If you get back onto the cheese wheel. I will. I absolutely. But to see how you feel after it. Yeah. Because I think that that's one of those things that we're more hyper aware of when we're coming back and we're doing it consciously. The thing is you might not see the full effects right away. Occasional indulgence will not have the same effect as constant indulgence. Interesting. So it's, it's, you know, when, when I'm doing um, food awareness things with people, I'll say it may take th- two or three days or four days after you've stopped something to start seeing the effects. And if you start eating it again, it may take two or three or four or five days before you start seeing what it's doing. So are you saying I should eat pizza for four or five days in a row? <laughs> <laughs> to just, you know, Please, really understand. absolutely. We only live once. I no, I mean, no. pedal to the metal. Just for go sure. for it. No, you got to celebrate life absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here, Dwayne. Yes. Really Thanks so, for inviting me. And I definitely want him back because I think that's a, I want to talk about the lab work and there's so many other things that we can talk about in your next visit. If we have resources, obviously we want people to go and check out your website at naturalstresscare.org uh, and you can uh, get in contact with Dwayne there and find out about some of the things that we've talked about today and the 369 the flora what is it the flora flora brand 369 in order to get the trace minerals you're going to have to at least shoot me an email and you can do that to Dwayne at naturalstresscare.org and i don't care how you spell Dwayne because it'll all get to me anyway but i'd be glad to um you know send your listeners you know my basic micronutrients fact sheet that gives information about how to get all of these um, basic things in place, where to get them, what to look for, and all of that. And is there anything else that you would recommend they read or check out? Oh my, Um, there's so much. It's hard to know where to begin. You know, um, I can sometimes be a bit of a rebel myself, you know. And for those of you who are rebelliously inclined, um, you want to look up a book called Anatomy of an Epidemic by a guy named Robert Whitaker. And he talks about um, how we came to be in this place where a pill for every ill and kids who are eight and 10 are being prescribed Ritalin. And it's a huge number of women who are on um, psychiatric medications. I think it's like close to 25%. Uh, very hard to get off of. Um, He talks about all of this. And um, he's got a checkered reputation. There's a lot of people out. It's sort of like global warming, you know, climate change. You've got, you know, deep-pocketed corporate interests on one side of the equation and, you know, 
loner rebels on the other side trying to bring more awareness to these issues. Robert Whitaker is one of them. So if you Google his name, you'll find plenty of websites, quackbusters and all that, saying he's crazy. Read him. Decide for yourself. The guy's done his homework, and he's kind of a hero to those of us interested in functional medicine and mental health because he's really shown a light on what business as usual is doing. But I thought they're all good people, Dwayne. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, don't I'm just, don't ever rule out crazy. You no, know? no. I mean, I, sometimes just, I think I'm just fucking around. They are good people. I know and they, they are. Mean I know well, they are. And they're I doing know. the best they can with what they've got. And it's our job absolutely, to get the word out there and show folks that there are alternatives. And right, it's just the individual. It's the corporate mentality that I have a problem with. And and believe me that I'm as as a consumer, I mean there's things I I do that feed into that. But yeah, I do feel that there are there are levels of people who just want to do well for their board members and for their shareholders and that that's the bottom line. But the people who are executing that, who are working through it, yes, I understand. They're just doing their job and someone like Robert I just want to say not that I have read him I definitely will but you say playfully crazy and I will translate that to passionate I feel like there's so many passionate people and it comes in the form of so many different ways so some people might think oh my god he's crazy I just see it as if you're passionate about something and you want to get the word out that's amazing that's start. That's that's the beginning of a whole another conversation. Yeah. So, <laughs> this has been wonderful. I really appreciate Thank the chance to so talk much. to your audience. Thank you for inviting me Thank in. Thank you. So again, uh, Dwayne Law can be found at naturalstresscare.org. You can find him on Twitter at at Dwayne Law Two, on Facebook at Natural Stress Care. Email, as he said, is Dwayne. That's D U A N E. Although you can spell it anyway at naturalstresscare.org. Phone number 310-498-2777, and his blog is selfcareadvisor.net. Did I miss anything? That's it. You're not on Instagram? I'm not. The one thing I will say is that I, I hard-coded those websites myself about 13 years ago. So don't I'm, judge I'm in the last stages of bringing them into the second decade of the 21st century, but the new sites won't be live for another few months. So if you're going there on your phone, I pity you. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be pinching and squeezing a lot. <laughs> so but We'll fix that soon. You can find me at Jenny with an I at Twitter at Jenny JV Wilson, Instagram, The Preppy Rebel, email Jennifer JV Wilson at gmail.com. My website's JennyJVWilson.com. We're on Facebook at Jenny JV Wilson and Dr. Wendy O'Connor and Associates. And you can find Dr. Wendy at you wanna... Oh, good. No, go, go. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can find her on her YouTube channel on Twitter at Ask Dr. Wendy. Her email is drwendyoconnor at gmail.com. Her website is doctor, spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R, wendyoconnor.com. Her phone number is 310-712-1230. And your Instagram is I am Dr. Wendy, D-R Wendy. Did I miss anything? Nope. I think we're good. And that's Wendy with a... Why? I'm Jenny with an I. She's Wendy with a Y. <laughs> Thank you again. But thanks for asking. Hey, and do us a favor. Just click that little button and subscribe to us on Podbeans or iTunes or now on Google Play. And if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review on iTunes or just give us five stars. If you can't find the words, we'd really appreciate it. And send us your stories, questions, feedback, relationship show, LA at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Dwayne. 
Thank you. And stay open. Yeah, that's it for us this time. And as always, we encourage you to be as authentically yourselves as you can possibly stand. And as Dr. Wendy just said, and always says, stay open. We want to thank you for tuning in, and we really want to thank Dwayne Law for stopping by and being our guest this time. You know, it makes a lot of sense that how we eat today can have both short and long-term effects and set the stage for how our bodies will hold up as we age. I appreciated that Dwayne wasn't all doom and gloom or shaming about my obvious M&M problem, but instead is encouraging us all to take baby steps and making healthier choices. And if adjusting what we eat begins to make us more resilient to stress and more pleasant to be around, maybe avoiding the donuts will be worth it. You know, I didn't even get into how much I love donuts. And I know we talked about a lot of different things, including getting the right balance of micronutrients, those amino acids, B vitamins, EFAs, antioxidants, omegas, and trace minerals that Dwayne explained to us keeps our car running. But here are some of the things that stood out to me that any of us can do right away, regardless of where we are in our lives. First, consider taking those daily treats and turning them into less frequent delicacies. You'll probably enjoy them more. Avoid fast and processed foods. Eat the rainbow, meaning include a variety of fruits and veggies with your grains and proteins. Eat the edges of the grocery store. That's where all the fresh food sections are. And learn what you can about low inflammatory and anti-inflammatory foods. As I said at the start of the episode, Dwayne has a practice here in Beverly Hills, but don't worry if you're not in the area. He also consults with people all over the world via technology. So just get in touch with him. You'll find his contact information in the notes along with links to various items that we talked about throughout this episode. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to drop us a line at relationshipshowla at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. The choices we make right now are what set those consequences in motion. Eat the rainbow.